The Black Doctors Podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others, because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by us. Hello and welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. Today I'm privileged to be speaking with Dr. Jason Campbell, the TikTok doc, as some may know him. He is an anesthesiology resident physician and uh, so glad he's able to come on the show and speak with us. Dr. Bradley, uh, hey, my man, really uh, appreciate you having me. I'm excited for what we're going to discuss today. Awesome. And, and of course, your uh, specialty is near and dear to my heart. I was in your shoes not too long ago, but why don't you uh, tell them what is life like as a resident anesthesiologist? Sure. Well, as a, as a resident anesthesiologist, you know, uh, in, in the grand scheme of things, I'm training to be to be a, a staff anesthesiologist one day, to be a faculty uh, in the world of academia and in academic medicine one day. For me, I want to be a pediatric anesthesiologist, so that's going to be a fellowship that I'll complete after my residency training. And, you know, right now it's you know somewhere between 6:30 a.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, give or take every day, uh, taking care of patients in the operative uh, experience, and so that can mean uh, in the perioperative arena. So before a surgery, you know, making sure they're they're safe, comfortable, they understand what is gonna uh, what the next few minutes or hours is going to uh, entail and how we're going to keep them safe during surgery or in the intraoperative arena and then, uh, you know, post-op, you know, making sure that they're, they're nauseous control if they have any and other things like that. Pain, obviously, being a big one. And so it's really a very special, special specialty, uh, as, as <laughs> uh, unique as that may be, uh, and definitely something that I, I treasure and never take for granted. And you're in your, uh, what, CA2 year? That's correct. So yeah, I'm uh, post grad year three, uh, or my clinical anesthesia year two. And then, as I recall, that's the year you're doing a lot of different um, specialty work. So kind of what what areas are you rotating through this year? That's right. Yes. So this year we get a chance to go through most of our subspecialty work. So that'll be everything from obstetric anesthesiology to pediatric to cardiac anesthesiology. Uh, we'll do cases that focus on uh, neuro anesthesiology as well. And then, of course, we have our uh, adult pain, both acute and chronic. So we really get a chance to see a variety of things. That's the thing about anesthesia I tell a lot of my mentees, and I definitely want to make sure I mention it on this show, is that if you want to be a cardiac uh, if you want to be focused on on cardiac and the heart and maybe even some of the pulmonary systems, but you don't want to be a cardiac surgeon, you can do cardiac anesthesiologist. You love women's health, but you don't want to be an OBGYN. How about obstetric anesthesiology? You know, yeah. for me, I love kids. I don't want to be a pediatrician. That's not my uh, forte. But pediatric, pediatric anesthesiology, boom. So anesthesiology, as Dr. Bradley will tell you, and I think agree with me, allows and affords you a lot of different opportunities to be fulfilled. I must say you left out uh, my pride and joy, the intensive care unit. Man, the ICU area, <laughs> there's not a better way to get to, to uh, be an intensivist. And to get to critical care medicine than going through anesthesiology, because then when it comes to the lines and all the different skills that one would need, you've actually done a lot of them in your anesthesiology training. So those become second nature as far as doing those procedures and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's that's another one that's obviously huge. Yeah, it's definitely a bit of an acquired taste, I guess. 
Oh, to say the least, to say the least. Speaking of ICU, though, especially with this COVID-19 pandemic that we've had, how has that affected your training as a resident? No, with I, I was telling someone this, that with COVID, it became that you weren't just the physician there to provide sedation or provide some form of anesthesia to safely get a patient through surgery, but you were you became the the friend, the loved one, the family member to hold their hand to ensure that their blanket was warm enough just to do the little things. Because there was a time there, like I know some institutions still are under this, where you where patients were not allowed to have anyone in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So remember how, so that was what was so unique. So it wasn't just about, oh, you know, protecting ourselves and protecting the patients. Of course, yes, N95 masks or other things of that nature. But really about this idea of being there for someone and just realizing that it's more than just the degree. It's more than just what you're going to do for them while they're asleep. But how are you going to get them into that space feeling comfortable and trusting you? Yeah, it's good. I hadn't definitely had not heard that perspective before. And, and thanks for sharing. And thanks for all you're, you're doing. Hey, my pleasure. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, with my writing and with other things like that, I just always try to reflect on every day and reflect on how it is that I interactions, how I see others, how others see me. So, so let's go back in time a little bit. When did you decide to become a physician? How old were you? You know, I always tell people, when you decide that you want to, and when you decide that you have what it takes to, maybe the same year, or it may be different. So yeah. one, one or two high school, um, so, you know, I was somewhere between, I would say, you know, 15, 16, decided that I have what it takes well, what it would take to really fulfill this dream. Oh, that was definitely probably during my master's degree uh, when I was procuring my master's in physiology from George Mason and Georgetown universities. And that is when I was 23. Hmm. So, um, so yeah, so definitely uh, almost a decade of uh, difference, you know, and as I tell people, you know, be, be patient, be patient with yourself. You know, we're not, always the age that we need to be to accomplish the goals and the dreams that we have for ourselves. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I know you went to the Emory University for undergrad. That's absolutely right. Yep. I was in Hotlanta, uh, Decatur, Georgia. <laughs> if you know what, the 404, 678, um, and, and enjoyed my time there very much. And I mean, that set me up for a lot of what I've been able to accomplish and achieve. And, you know, and, and my high school really set me up for Emory. And so it's just, you know, like I said, I'm always just being, um, very gracious and, and full of gratitude for those that helped me get to where I am today. Before the TikTok doc, before any of that stuff, it was just a guy who had a dream and a goal, who wasn't the best test taker, that just wanted and needed people that believed in him. For times where I didn't even believe in myself or for times when I feel like um, the the journey seemed impossible or not worth it. And um, I have a lot, of, a lot of those people that have been in my corner the whole way. Yeah, I, I know in your writing, you talk a lot about the importance of your family. How did they help you get through the tough times? I think that my, you know, my dad's just a laid back brother, laid back guy, but always supportive and just letting me know he's here for me at all times. And then my mom has always been, and, and my father as well, like, you know, they never pushed me any which way, but whatever way I wanted to go, they then helped push that. You know, mm-hmm. so they said, that's your goal. We'll get to help you get there. Uh, whether that was tutors or helping me find a mentor, like my advisor from Georgetown, my mom said, hey, 
my son's got a lot of energy. If you can just help him curtail it, I think it can be something really special, you know? And so little things like that, you know, definitely uh, a blessing to have parents like that. And then uh, and at Emory, you were balancing life as a student athlete as well as following this pre-med coursework. So how did you make that work? Yeah, and so you know what? This is a, a great point that when I was at Emory, um, one thing that I realized looking back is that I just realized, and it all worked out, but it's important when you're a mentor to look back at what you would have done differently or what you could have done better so you can help those maybe avoid some pitfalls or some things that, that um, I succumbed to. And so for me, when I look back at it, I realized that I just wish I had spent a little bit more time on like a Friday night or even Saturday evening, maybe before I went out to a party or, or out on the town in the library. You know, that time where it's like, oh, if I know the library's going to close at 7, then it's like, you know what, I'm going to go maybe 4 to 7 to the library. I know that's going to close, so it, there's a cutoff. But get those hours in, and then it's like, then I can go to dinner or out with friends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with track and stuff like that, there are times where I'd be coming back from a track meet, so that wasn't a possibility. But I would be I, I would be wrong if I thought that there every Saturday that was the case. No, there were definitely times where I could have been in the library for a few extra hours Sunday morning, Saturday evening, Friday night that I wish I had. Just really grinding on the uh, the sciences because there's a lot to memorize, a lot to understand. You can't just do it quickly. You know, I was a social studies major. I was an anthropology major. So I was used to cranking out a paper or a reading and, you know, pretty quickly. But with the science, with the basic science, you really have to grind it. You have to sit. You have to let oh, yeah. it marinate. You know, and so it was a different way of thinking that I had not mastered because I really hadn't allowed myself or afforded myself enough time to master it. Now, hear that. It's very different. Like, oh, you're not good at science? No, no, no. Maybe you're not giving yourself the amount of time you need to give yourself to be good at science. So I just, you know, always be thinking about ways that you can improve. And that's something that I could have done a little bit differently. Um, But balancing was definitely not easy, but it definitely got me ready for the real world and for being a, a good clinical uh, physician and doing things uh, outside of the hospital that I want to do for my own mental health and for society. That's that's awesome. The self-realization that even though, I mean, you turned out okay, but you're saying there's still a lot of stuff you could have done. Or there's still some things you could have done differently. It's great. De- definitely. Could have definitely been tighter in some things. Um, and it's just important for me to look back at that and recognize that. So from Emory, you went on to this master's program. So could you tell us a little bit more about that program? Absolutely, yeah. So from Emory, I actually went and did a one-year program, AmeriCorps program called City Year. After City Year, I um, City Year was when I was in a public school, a public high school across the city in D.C., in northeast D.C., where my father grew up and closer to where my mother grew up and got a chance to work with those students, mentoring them and focusing on their life. Because in medicine, we are so focused on ourselves, and you have to be to a certain extent, to be successful. So I took this year to be able to focus on others. I did not know that was necessarily what was going to come from it, you know, but it was one of those situations where I went to teach them and they ended up teaching me a lot about life and myself. And so after that AmeriCorps year, then I did this master's in physiology. It's the G-squared program with George Mason in Georgetown, where I did nine months at George Mason's campus and then the last three months at Georgetown University. Mm -hmm. And my ultimate degree says Georgetown University on it. 
And so, yeah, this is a program, you know, doing histology, biochemistry, pathophysiology, just these upper level science courses that I knew I would need to do well on to be a strong medical student, but also to show like, hey, I had some weakness in my undergraduate sciences, but that's not the trend here, you know? So I didn't retake my undergraduate science courses. I took these upper level ones, did well on them. I think I got a three, five and said, boom, I'm ready for this. I know what it takes. Boom. There it is. So, so let me, let me ask you this. Were you a Buckeyes fan before or after you went there for medical school? Man, I got there. I started drinking the Kool-Aid. I actually, you know, I had always known about the Ohio State and Buckeyes, but I really never understood it. And, you know, they just did such a wonderful job. You know, Dr. Quinn Capers, one of my mentors and others, they do such a wonderful job of making you feel like, hey, yes, you know, it's medical school, but we want you, you know, and here's why we want you to join us as opposed to you feeling like, oh, you have to sell them or why they should even think about accepting you. And and that's just, uh, uh, there was a uh, humility there was a humility, but there was a clear, we are the Ohio State. We have amazing resources and amazing ability to teach students to become the next line of physicians. And so I said, hey, this is where I want to be. You know, I got there feeling like I was away from home. But then when I got on the plane to go back to D.C., I felt like I was leaving home. And luckily they accepted me one day and I was able to call it home for four years. Nice, nice. And and I hear a lot of great stuff coming out of Ohio State from uh, Dr. Capers, Dr. Gray, yeah. um, quite a few folks that are doing great things for the community and for diversity in, in healthcare. Oh, yeah. I mean, as far as especially when it comes to diversity, equity and inclusion, especially when it comes to addressing implicit bias and explicit bias. Uh, when it comes to just being a frontline for cancer research with the James uh, uh, Cancer Hospital, uh, sports medicine, obviously, uh, there's a ton of great stuff coming out of that place. Um, I, I love the hospital. You know, Columbus is a little cold for me. Uh, <laughs> and I definitely don't, don't miss those winners, but uh, a lot of great people there that I do miss dearly. So, uh, Dr. Campbell, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about, you know, what, what the fans, what they've been waiting for, the TikTok doc. Oh man, I'm trying to retire. Yes, sir. So, you know, I am, um, you know, this is, you take me back to my days at um, Ohio State, you know, some light dancing in the hallway. There was one of the transplant surgeons, Dr. Latifa Sejcilski, who had, I think, been a dancer in her, in her younger life and, you know, doing a, a little, you know, step ball change with her and joking around. And I just was like, you know, you don't have to, you can take your job seriously but you don't have to take yourself too seriously. And she showed me that first and foremost. And I was like, that's how I want to be. And so, you know, get out here and, you know, we're in Oregon and I'm just doing a little dancing and trying to relate back to the black youth and COVID comes up. And next thing you know, people are like, Oh, this is kind of cute. And you're in the hospital and, you know, doctors with some rhythm or whatever's going on there or some without rhythm. And so it was really, it was really just, um, you know, right place, right time. And, you know, very uh, gracious by the the accolades and and honors, but you know, it was just it was just a moment to have a little reprieve, a little smile uh, after you know countless hours and long days. Yeah. So, so with uh, TikTok, so how do you decide what you post? Because obviously, being in residency, you've got your program looking over your shoulder, and 
your attendings and all that. So I'm sure you had to be somewhat intentional on the content that you create. How did you navigate that? Yeah, I mean, always, I mean, gosh, how many TikTok songs are either lewd in their language or their insinuations or curse words? I mean, so obviously definitely picking language that was clean as far as the words go, uh, things that were tasteful. Um, and that's kind of always been my MO, just, you know, things that, you know, a seven-year-old could look at and smile, your grandma could watch and sing along with. And that's always been what I've thought about. And yeah, that means that there are a lot of dances I don't do, and I definitely don't post them on a public forum, but that's part of the gig, you know, it's just realizing, you know, what you stand for and making sure that it's in alignment uh, with your, with who you are and who you want the world to, to see. I tell you what, we'll, we'll start this uh, TikTok doc OnlyFans, and you can put the other content there. Hey, shoot! You try, <laughs> to get, try to get brother caught up. I love it though. No, it's all great. We'll, we'll donate the proceeds to charity. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, but but seriously, so with your residency schedule, how did you coordinate making the content? And then there was quite a few interviews that you ended up doing. How did you uh, get the time to do all that? Yeah, I mean, it is really lucked out. Some of that stuff was definitely, um, you know, with the everything was with the support of, with the support of the hospital and my program. But I think it was just kind of making sure that, like, hey, like, you know, you don't want this to infringe on patient care. You don't want this to infringe on the reason that you're there. Everything else is extra, and I think it's always reminding myself that and knowing that, and you know, as I move forward, it's like patient care, safety number one. Mm-hmm. Anything else is great uh, as long as it's not detracting from that. But if anything, interviews and stuff like that comes in that way that, you know, then you got to just kind of abort. And so um, that was, that was my mentality and that's what I did. And um, yeah, it was a busy April, (laughs) but but, you know, but it was, it was nice. It was worth it. And yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the country thanks you, obviously, right. You did a great job of, navigating that platform as evidenced by your appearance on the people's choice awards you were on the doctor's uh, tv show as well as you know multiple news channels oh my god for a little bit there like every every week i was seeing you on on what good morning america all the, all the above You're like this guy this guy yeah yeah that was a <laughs> huge blessing something that i'll never forget you know who knows where life will take me but that was definitely a time that i will always cherish for sure Awesome. But I, I know throughout it all, you still brought your TikTok message back to um, you, you had a quote that you kept saying that it wasn't about the dancing. It was about um, something more. What, what was that saying? Yeah, for me, it was just it was about the chance to reach back to specifically those who look like me, younger boys of color that know that hey, I know I can bust a move on the dance floor. I know that I have the moves. I can get jiggy with it. Well, you also can be a physician. You also could be an anesthesiologist when you're a pediatric anesthesiologist. You can be a pediatric neuroanesthesiologist. It's just opening up the, their minds to know that you are more than an athlete. You're more than what society tells you sometimes or mm-hmm. maybe all the time. Let me not sugarcoat that. And so that's what it was always about. And that's something that people didn't get then. Some won't get that now. But I know that those that I'm trying to reach that, uh, deliver that message to that they'll understand. Awesome. And that brings us to the writing and the blogging that you do. Because you've been writing for quite a while and you've gotten uh, published in uh, quite a few newspapers and, and journals. Um, what, what's your main goal with the, the pieces that you write? Where does it come from? Yeah, you know, I think it all comes from things that, uh, from points 
point of views, articles, messages that are near and dear to myself. I, I do not jump on something that I, oh, that's uh, a fancy um, theme that others would care about. But if it's not something that I feel very passionate about, I'm not even going to put my pen down. So it's always something that has, you know, there's been some reflection, whether out when I was at, while I was out on my run or walking to the hospital, that I'm like, you know what, this is a, um, this is a topic that I really, really need to hit on. And so that's where it starts. And so, um, you know, black men in medicine or in America, uh, societal issues, um, you know, race, more than an athlete, just themes that have always been important to me or themes that I've lived. You know, I, you know, lived experiences are so easy to write about. Well, easier, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I just realized that I had a really a God-given talent to be able to, to put some of this stuff down on paper in a way that people could relate to it and desiring to read it. And I said, well, like, let's not waste that talent and let's see where it goes. And so that's kind of where it came up. And so, you know, JC of the DC dot blog is where you can find my uh, articles or www drjcofthedc.com uh, that's drjcofthedc.com and you know I just I'm going to keep writing and I haven't put out a piece recently but I'm thinking about as we move into 2021 you know I'm thinking what are some things that we need to tell each other or things to look forward to or things that we want to accomplish because you've got to remember 2021 is not all of a sudden it's going to be a brand new mural when yeah. you know when we just splash paint all over the mural of 2020 like we need to clean it we need to repaint it it's going to take effort like we have to know that we are going to have to put a lot of work into making 2021 what we want it to be. Oh, that, that's incredible. I was going to ask you, you know, as we head into this new year, um, you know, what do you see it bringing for, for yourself, for society? I know 2020 was rough, obviously, for a lot of us. Um, what, what do you see in, in the horizon for this new year? That's a great question. I don't. What, what would you like to see? Let me put it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely trying to, you know, work and navigate and figure out what, um, a pediatric anesthesiology fellowship is going to look like. I think trying to figure out is this going to be a time where I start to look to move back closer to home, closer to the East Coast, closer to Washington, D.C. I think that this is going to be a time where I am going to look to just be, make sure that I'm becoming the strongest anesthesiologist that I can be in my training and really putting my, my foot down there and allowing myself to write some, but really to, and, and to focus more on becoming a better writer, writing more efficiently. You know, um, I just got a book for Christmas, the writing tools, looking at different ways that you can uh, create greater emphasis from sentence to sentence, making sure that paragraphs don't have any unwasted words. You know, everything's just concise. I think I'm trying to live my life like that. You know, I, Keep it simple, but really, you know, enthusiasm. Don't waste energy or effort. You know, really put everything forward. And so that's what I'm looking for for 2021. How about you? I know you're the question asker, but I thought I was <laughs> Yeah, that, that's good. Um, I mean, a part of it is is this, this podcast. Um, started it last year, so definitely going to work a little harder, put out uh, maybe two episodes a week and, and delve nice. into some of the other issues I care about, like medical ethics and nice. healthcare disparities. And um, applying to critical care fellowships, so hopefully get some nice. interviews and, and get a program locked down later in the spring. I love it. Any program would be lucky to have you, man. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I we've never met in person, 
but I've had the uh, ability to get to know you and uh, from afar, and I've just been very impressed. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. It's very, very kind. Um, Dr. Campbell, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and just sharing a little bit of your life and your story. It's super inspiring to kind of see the person you are behind all the TikToks, behind the, the news channels. Um, where can folks... Well, I don't even know if I need to, to drop your information, but where can folks find you? Yeah, no, I appreciate that, man. No, I'm, uh, I'm DRJC of the DC uh, at all my platforms, uh, including TikTok. You know, I know I'm a TikTok doc, but it's Dr. JC of the DC. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, uh, LinkedIn, Jason Campbell, where you'll find some of my blogs and www.drjcofthedc.com and that has all my information in one central place. Uh, please email me, be in touch in any way that I can uh, can help or even just for you know thoughtful dialogue. I'm, I'm always looking forward to that. Awesome. Dr. Campbell, thank you so much for joining us on the Black Doctors Podcast. Dr. Bradley, my pleasure. Thank you. Black Doctors Podcast is a nonprofit volunteer passion project with the goal of inspiring all who listen. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast with Dr. Stephen Bradley, your friendly neighborhood anesthesiologist.